We're on week number two of a, uh, a mini-series, a Christmas mini-series called The Light. And I do some, some semblance of this uh, every year. And what we do is we, we look at uh, the Jewish menorah. Um, you'll see it in Scripture. And actually, we'll see it here in a minute. Um, they call it the lampstand. But the, the uh, Hebrew word for lampstand is menorah, so we, we just call it a menorah. Um, and we, we do this series based around this, and uh, the menorah was, um, it was a very significant object for the Jewish people in the Jew, um, Jewish religion, Judaism. And uh, not only was it important back then, really, um, for the last 3,000 years or so, it's kind of been the, the emblem for Israel. Most of us think of Israel or an emblem and we think of the Star of David because that's what's on their national flag. But, but the menorah is literally Jew, uh, Israel's national emblem. And so it's very, very important to them. And I was thinking about how the light itself, just light itself is very significant for the Jewish people. And you might be thinking, why are you talking about Jewish people? We know our, our Lord and Savior was, was Jewish, right? If you forgot that, go look it up. It's really true. He really was Jewish. And so, but light for the Jewish people, it, light itself was a significant thing. I mean, think about what the very, 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 very first thing that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said. What was the very first thing he said? Let there be light. First thing he said. It's an important thing to them. And of course, we know that the sun, the moon, the stars, um, those were given to, um, to dictate the times and the seasons, their, their Jewish holidays and feasts and festivals and their agriculture all revolved around the lights. It was very, very important for them. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, God says to Israel themselves, he says, you yourself are a light. You are a light to all the nations. In other words, Jewish, uh, uh, Israel, the Hebrews, was the nation that God chose to bring the gospel to all the nations of the world. You yourself are a light. And uh, of course, because light is important to them, they would, have, they would have understood the significance of that, that idea that you are a light to all the nations because of the, the principle of light and darkness. And uh, we talked about some of that a couple of weeks ago. And so I was thinking about how it probably came as no surprise to Moses when God said, I want you to build this place of worship for me. And right there in the holy place, I want you to put what scripture calls a lampstand. And, um, and it's going to be used for the purpose of worship. Now, what Moses didn't realize probably, and the people of Israel didn't realize, is that God hid pictures of Messiah, the coming Messiah, inside of the menorah. Okay, not, even, not only the menorah, but all of the um, articles or the furniture inside of the tabernacle. All of those things um, point to either the person or the work of Jesus Christ. And as we've said last week, and we'll mention again this week, the menorah itself points to both the person and the work of Christ. Um, Last week, I started with John 10, 10. Every year that I do this, just about every year, and I try to get into the teaching and some of the nuts and bolts a little bit differently. This year, I started with John 10, 10. Of course, we, we quote this all the time because it's so important to us in the faith, but Jesus himself said that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life 
to the full. And if you'll remember, I showed you the picture of the, uh, the Arch of Titus, that statute embossment that uh, was created to be a boasting memorial of Rome's conquering of Jerusalem and their ra- uh, ransacking and destroying the Jewish temple. Um, you've got that picture up there again. Okay, so you can see that I, I did a whole thing about that two weeks ago. Again, you can see that the centerpiece of their boasting is the menorah. Okay, they marched that thing out of the city. This, this scene that you're looking at, that was etched in time, was meant to boast in General Titus's victorious attack on God's, uh, on God's people. In my opinion, now this is my opinion, but I think it's pretty close to right. Okay, in my opinion, it exposed the real enemy of God's people, okay, Satan and what he is after, what he was after then and what he is after now in our own lives. And so to, to understand the hidden prophetic pictures of Messiah that's found in this ancient sacred Jewish temple artifact, the menorah, is to understand what the enemy is targeting in our lives. And I, would, I, I say that's important enough to get into, don't you? And so that's why we bring attention to it. Last week I showed you how the enemy is after um, the work of the gospel. And I showed you how it was after, uh, the enemy is after the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You can go back and you can listen to that. Tonight, I wanna show you two more things that the enemy targets. And that is um, our identity and our connectivity. We're gonna, we're gonna look at those two things. If you wanna go ahead and whatever you do to take notes, you can look at those two things. But first, I wanna show you, if you can, turn to John chapter 8, 12. This is kind of the verse that we are um, launching out of. We launched out of last week or two weeks ago and then tonight. In John chapter 8, and, and this is just one little scripture, but I wanna read it to you. And if you wanna turn there in your Bible, you can mark it. If you like to mark things on your device, you can, can't you highlight or something? I want you to read it, read it, read it over and over and over again. It says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I told you that that phrase, light of life, is actually found in several different places in Scripture, and it's because life is connected with light. And light is connected with light. The two, the two go hand in hand because Jesus is both. He is light, and uh, like Nathan said earlier in worship, John, he was quoting in John, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the light, but he's also the life. Um, in, in John, first John 5, rather, he says, um, he who has the Son, he who has the light of the world, he who has the Son of God, Jesus, has life, right? Jesus said, um, I have come into the world, I've come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. But he also said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. Some of your versions say life to the full. Some of your versions say life more abundant. And this leads me to my sermon in a sentence tonight. If you, if you track with us a lot, you know I like to give a whole sermon in a sentence just in case you're not off. You can at least walk away with this. So write this down, okay? Based upon what we just read, that Jesus came to give life and life to the full. 
life more abundant. Here's my sermon in a sense. It might even sound familiar. We were meant to live for so much more. Really? Nobody that recognizes that? Raise your hand if you recognize that. Oh, okay, good. You're starting to scare me. I thought you had lost yourself. (laughs) We were meant to live as a switch foot lyric. Anyway, what were we talking about? But I want you to get that. It's It's a switch foot lyric. We were meant to live for so much more. And we lost ourselves. But right there in the middle of it, look, and I even bolded it for you. We were meant to live. If we could stop right there and say, we were meant to live. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. But he goes on to say, life more abundant. So we were meant to live for so much more. More than those who have decided not to put their faith in Jesus. I don't think it's a, it's a prejudice thing. I don't think it's a thing where, well, God loves them more. No, it's just that those who put their faith in Jesus inevitably will live for so much more. And it's God's desire when he sent Jesus to this earth that they would have life, life more abundant, life to the full. We, you, we were meant to live for so much more. Now what I want to do to kind of just jump into the teaching of the menorah is look at Exodus 25. So are you there? You can get there in your Bible. You can get there um, on your device. This is where we were at last week. In Exodus 25, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it, Verse starting in verse 31. You guys see that? Go all the way down to verse 31. In your heading, um, it might say something like the golden lampstand. I doubt it says menorah, but it might say the lampstand or the golden lampstand. It says, then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shafts are to be made of hammered work. We talked about that last week when we talked about how the enemy tries to steal the work of the gospel. Okay? It's cups... Its bulbs and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And we talked about how it was all made from one big block of gold. But I want you to notice this week, we're going to focus on something else. It's cups, <laughs> it's bulbs, and it's flowers. I mean, all of a sudden, this, this gets kind of froofy. It goes on to say, six branches shall go out from its sides, Three branches of the lampstand goes from one side. Three branches go out from the other sides. The verse 33 says, Three cups shall be shaped like almond blossoms in one branch, a bulb and a flower, and three cups shall be shaped like almond branches in the other branch, a bulb and a flower. So for six branches, everybody say six branches. branches. One more time, just in case you were nodding off already. You're awake. Thank you, young man. Six branches going out from the lampstand, and in the lampstand, four cups shaped like almond blossoms, its bulbs and its flowers. And we'll stop right there. Let me just simplify this because there's a thousand ways I could get into this. Let me just simplify it by saying that the menorah, this right here, was meant to be shaped, resemble an almond tree. Weird, I know. But I want you to think about it. Of all of the plants, of all of the bushes, of all the types of vines, of all the types of trees that this could have been ordained by God to be shaped as, he chose the almond tree. Now, why would he do that? I think it's because it's a great picture of life. 
And I'll give you a couple examples right off. The almond tree is, is a tree that blossoms very early, okay, very, um, very quickly in the spring. Think of winter as, um, and we've, we've talked about this before, but think of winter as a season of death, right? In winter, everything's dead. The almond tree was literally the first one to come alive. Now, I want you to think about that. Think about that phrasing. The almond tree was the very first one to come alive, to wake up from its winter sleep. So the almond tree for the people of Israel was also a symbol of resurrection. I love that. I mean, even the person, and remember what we talked about, the person and the work of Jesus right here. One of the things is the resurrection. Why? Because it was shaped, well, this doesn't look like much like an almond, but it did back then, Okay. New life, resurrection. And uh, in fact, the, the Hebrew word, uh, I know that's kind of geeky, but the he- Hebrew word for almond that they use actually means vigilant. Vigilant or vigilance. And we know what vigilant means. It means to watch, right? It means to, it means to watch or to, uh, to wake. And people could always tell that spring was just around the corner. Pre, uh, spring was just about to um, come forth because um, of the almond tree. They would watch it. They would watch it. They would watch it wake up. New life was just around the corner and they could tell just by watching the almond tree. Um, Remember we said a little bit earlier that the menorah was a picture of, I know it sounds weird, this little object being the picture of the person and work of Jesus, but it is. Well, what is one of the things that Jesus came to do? What is the primary thing that Jesus came to do? To bring us what? New Life. No wonder God wanted it to be shaped as an almond. No wonder the Hebrew word for almond means vigilant, to wake, to watch. It's almost like God was telling the world through the menorah, through this, uh, uh, this artifact that was used in Hebrew worship, that new life. Israel, listen. You who are waiting for your coming Messiah, new life. As you worship, as you light this thing in the temple, I, wanna, I want you to know, Watch, wait, because new life is just around the corner. And they were, of course, waiting for the coming Messiah. Winter is almost over. Dead things are about to come back to life. Watch for it. Wait for it. Stay awake, because it is going to happen. I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps all over me right now. Nathan was talking about that prophetic thing that, is, that happened in the Old Testament, that prophetic thing of, of coming forth. And of course, he's, th- he's singing about Noel and, and uh, born unto us this day. They had been waiting for that day forever, that new life to come. When Jesus was born in that manger, new life sprouted for all of humanity. It was coming. Amen? Doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that make you want to just do a hold down? If it does, after the service, you can go and see Chris and Charlotte. <laughs> That wasn't even planned. That was pretty good, though. Okay, what were we talking about? Dang, it always happens to me. Thank you, Molly. It certainly does. Um, listen, General Titus, I was telling you a couple weeks ago more about General Titus. Um, but General Titus hauls off that menorah. Can we put that up there? General Titus hauls off this menorah from this destroyed temple. But can I just tell you something? The spirit behind the man... The nation that was robbing Israel, the spirit behind that was robbing God's people, wanted to rob God's people of the life they were meant to live. That's really what all that was about. And that picture is a boasting of, of General Titus, but really what the enemy doesn't know is he was caught red-handed. 
He was caught boasting of what he was up to. He's trying to rob God's people then and now of the life that they were meant to live. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the first thing that happens when someone connects to God? You could answer this in, in many ways, but let me, I'll just, let me just tell you. The first thing that happens when someone connects to God is they are given a new identity. Isn't that true? Isn't that what scripture tells us all over the place? I want you to write that down. That's the, that's the first thing I want to tell you tonight that the enemy is coming after, that the enemy is trying to rob us, that he's trying to take from us is our identity. I love the way that Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter two. He says, once you were not a people, you weren't a people, you were nothing. He didn't say it like that. But he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Before we were nothing, barely anything. And those of us who've truly come to the saving knowledge, grace, walking in the, in the grace of, of salvation that comes from Jesus, we, we recognize that, don't we? We humbly look back and say we were nothing, but now we've been given a new identity. We are the people of God. In fact, he, right before he says that, he says that we are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation, that we are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love that that called out of darkness into his marvelous light is connected with a new identity. We can see it right here. This light that came as light into the world to rescue us from the darkness came to give us a new identity. We were nothing, but then the light came, rescued us from darkness, and gave us an identity. Now we are something. Uh, I was thinking about that song that we sing from time to time. Um, I'm no longer a slave to fear. You guys remember that? And what does it say? I am a child of God. That's one of the things Scripture tells us. That we're no longer slaves to fear or anything else. Death, sin, the grave, nothing. We are children of God. Scripture tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. That Christ is is an heir of the kingdom and all things eternal. And yet we are co-heirs with him. Why? Because of the heavenly adoption that we have received. Because of what? The person and work of Jesus. Says that we are a kingdom of priests. We are in the new kingdom and we are a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? It means that we have the authority and the anointing to minister the gospel. Everything that we talked about last week that the enemy's trying to rob from us. Remember we said that he's trying to rob from us the work of the gospel. We have been given the authority and power and anointing to communicate effectively that gospel which leads people to salvation. Um, scripture says not only are we conquerors, we're more than conquerors. But listen, it's in Christ Jesus. It's because of the person and the work. We are more than conquerors. We are the light of the world. I mean, I could go on. I could probably quote the scriptures for the next hour telling you about what our identity looks like. Now, here's the question. If that's who we are, all of those things, why is the enemy trying to rob that? Why is he trying to rob us of our identity? Let me just tell you plainly. It's because the anointing and the authority that flow out of our identity, then he's after that. The authority 
an anointing to communicate the gospel flows out of our identity. Well, let's cut off their identity. Let's get them to believe in something else. If they have been called according to his purposes to preach the good news, to do these things, and in Christ they have the authority and the anointing or power to be effective in community. We got to cut that off. If that comes from their identity, we got to cut that off. And so the enemy is going to come in and do that. If our authority and anointing are cut off, then so is our effectivity. If you needed three points, I'm only going to get two, but if you needed three, you could sneak that one in. But the enemy is trying to rob our, our, um, what is it? our identity, but also trying to rob our effectivity. You can slip that in there as a third point. I'm not going to expound on it, but that's what he's after, our effectivity. He's the one that's to be effective. Amen? In Numbers 16, uh, we don't have near enough time to read the story, but in Numbers 16 and in Numbers 17, tells a very fascinating story. If you, if you turn to Numbers 16, you will see it labeled um, something like Korah's rebellion. Korah and his rebellion. Korah was also a Levite, just as Moses and Aaron were. And Korah gathered some guys and, and brought them to the tabernacle, to the tent of meeting. And basically, they, he, he, Korah stepped forth and him and, and the guys with him said, what makes you so special? Who are you? We are all of God. We are all God's people. In fact, I think it even says, we are all uh, um, holy, anointed. What makes you so special that you are the one? He says, you're just trying to lord stuff over us. And if you read it, it's awesome. Me and a group of people were talking about this the other day. Moses was just like, he hit the deck. He says he fell flat on his face. You know what I mean? And I think it's because, whoa, that accusation was so far off. He was afraid of what God was going to do. He's like, it wasn't that he fell on his face. It was more like, I'm duck, <laughs> you know? If you keep on reading, he had reason to duck. Because God was so put off by this that he destroyed that first wave of people that came and tried to attack Moses and Aaron's identity. And then later, another group, I mean, in the same chapter, tried to do the same thing. And God's like, these people gotta go. What I love is that when God says, these people gotta go, Moses pleads for them. No! In fact, he told Aaron, run! Run in there and make atonement for these people so, so, so they won't all die. And it says about 14,700 did die by the time Aaron made that sacrifice for them. And then the rest were spared. It's fascinating. Read it. They were trying to attack Moses and Aaron's identity, their authority, even their anointing as the priests. Moses says, Korah, you, you get to serve God in the temple. You get to do these things. Is it, are you wanting the priesthood too? Are you wanting to be the high priest? Vying for that position, trying to attack his authority. The next chapter, listen, it says, God tells Moses, I want you to go tell all the leaders that are left, because a bunch of them had died. Go tell the leaders of the 12 tribe. And of course, Aaron would have represented the tribe of Levi. Go tell them to all go grab a staff or a rod, a big long stick, piece of wood. You get it? And tell them all to place their rod inside of the temple. Tomorrow morning, the rod that 
has blossoms will be the man that I choose. So they all did, including Aaron. The next morning, it was Aaron's rod that had blossomed. What most people don't know, do you know what it blossomed? Almonds. Almonds. Isn't that fascinating? And from that, that time on, almonds became a symbol of God's divine approval. How amazing that before that even happened, there was this menorah that was made in the image of, of an almond tree. It's almost like God was saying, I pre-approve the person and work of Jesus. I pre-approve who he is and I pre-approve what he will do. Isn't that cool? Isn't that good? All of that's in that? Yes. All she has to do is study a little bit. It'll blow your mind how God affirms and confirms his son, Jesus, as the coming one. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Romans chapter three, verse 24 says this. We, talking about all of us who were born again, Christians, we are all justified. Now you can very, very easily slip in that word approved because it basically means the same thing. We, we are all approved freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Do you get that? We ourselves are approved. Anyone who connects to Jesus, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus and who he is and what he did, anybody who um, does that is justified. They are approved. Their sins are forgiven. They're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of the lamb. And now they stand, you stand, we stand approved by God. Isn't that good news? It is good news, but here's the deal. Paul says a couple things in, in a couple of his different letters that we need to pay attention to because if this is true, our Savior was approved and in him we are approved. We stand justified before God. There's a couple things that Paul thought we should know. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Now listen to what it says next. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Whoa, now if you were here two weeks ago, you know why that's powerful, and I'll, I'll allude to it again in a second. But listen to what it says, again, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. What does one approved look like? Well, he tells us, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, meaning your life is, is flowing in the, in the righteousness of God, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, that's what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy. In, um, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, he says this. But just as we have been approved by God. So he's saying, we have been approved by God. He's talking to the believers. We have, y'all listening? We have been approved by God. But look what he says. To, or for the purpose of, to be entrusted with the gospel. We have been approved by God. Why? So we could be entrusted with the gospel that they, no wonder the enemy is trying to rob it. Remember last week, my sermon in this sentence was, you got to get a hold of God's word or the devil will get your gospel. Remember that? You got to get it. And that's what he says right here. One approved who correctly handles the word of God. You've got to get a hold of God's word or the devil will get your gospel, you'll have to go back and listen to that, that sermon for the rest of it. But bottom line, listen, the devil loves to render people ineffective. He loves to render 
all of us, ineffective, like good for nothing. He wants to turn us all into good for nothings. Well, that's not what we want for ourselves. We've got to pay attention. How does Satan steal our identity? And remember, I slipped in our effectivity. He's trying to render us effective. How does he steal our identity and, and our effectivity? Let me just tell you this. You can write this down. This is actually my second point. Third, I guess, but... By attacking our connectivity. Yes, they all rhyme. I just do that a lot. Okay? Our connectivity. He's trying to cut off our connectivity. Now, I can talk about connectivity. You guys know about connectivity. If there's one thing our generation and culture knows about, it's connectivity. Right? Some of our most frustrating moments of our lives are when we can't get connected. Right? Like when you got your Netflix going and all of a sudden your connection is lost. It's like, oh! You watch that thing go around and around. How many of you have the Roku sticks? Raise your hand if you got a Roku. That is the worst. Although I do like the little dance that the Roku man does. You guys know what I'm talking about? Are you guys awake? Somebody go make a pot of coffee. Connectivity. We, we get so frustrated. We will, some of the worst things that we ever say in our lives are when our connectivity is off. Not just Netflix, but when the internet in general, or our phone, or our, when we can't get connected, we get so frustrated. We're willing to th- throw everything away, whatever it takes to get connected. And I thought about how, is that true? Is that the same in our desire, passion, need for being connected with Jesus? And yet, listen, it is one of the most important things. Our connectivity can make everything else work. And that's why he's after it. Let me show, show you what I mean. We're, we're in Exodus 25 again. And we'll back up to verse 31 and 32 where it says, make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shafts are, look, this would be its base and its shafts, okay? Um, its base and its shafts are to be made of hammer work, its bulbs, its cups, its flowers of one piece. And then it says, six branches shall go out from its side. You guys see this? You got one, two, three, four, five, six. Y'all see that? So six branches shall go out from its side. Three branches of the lampstand from one side and three branches from the other side. Let me just tell you, there's so much in here and I'll I'll just try to keep it simple. There's this thing, um, a lot of people think it's hocus pocus and maybe it is, but there's a thing called Bible numerology. Certain numbers have a consistent meaning in scripture. For example, the number seven in scripture always seems to indicate perfection, right? Or completion, right? It's a very common knowledge, okay? So it's not really hocus pocus, you just see that all over the place. Um, Scripture talks about six being the number of man, and you can see that in several different places. One of the places it it really says it is in Revelations when it's talking about the number of the beast, which is six, six, six. But there's other places that talk about how the um, six is the number of man, okay? But then it also talks about how uh, in a lot of different places, and we can see it even in our theology, that one is God's number. Our God, he is one. You guys remember that scripture? Um, We know that um, our God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three um, distinct uh, functions and and people of the Trinity or the the Godhead. And yet, they're one God. You guys see that? Um, Ephesians, which we're going to study at the beginning of the year. One faith, one God. 
when father, when, okay? So I want you to think about this. The menorah tells us one thing. You've got one God. Isn't God always at the center? We used to sing this fast song uh, at church. The center of it all, it all begins and ends with you. You guys, how many of you remember that song? It's a great song. Jesus, God, is at the center. And then you have six branches coming out to the side. To me, I see that and I think, oh, well, that's easy to figure out. Six, when it's added with one, equals seven. In other words, six plus one is seven. Man, when connected with God, equals perfection, completion. And Jesus affirms that. He, he, I think it's kind of what he was talking about whenever he's talking um, John 15. Remember when he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Right? He goes on to say, he who abides in me, he who is connected to me, he bears much. Oh, come on, y'all. That's good. He bears much fruit. Now, he didn't say almonds, but I think he knew, I think everybody knew what kind of fruit he was talking about. But look at what he says next. And this is the famous phrase we like to quote, but we, do we really understand the significance of it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, apart from the vine, you're just branches, dead branches, right? Dead branches. I think it's fascinating that, that the way that God says that we, and really even the Jewish people, that, that the, the Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish, have been grafted into, which is a horticultural term. We've been grafted into um, um, the promises of Israel. But it also talks about Israel himself has been grafted into the promises of God. He grafted them into the vine. I mean, you just, it's just so powerful. Six, man, by himself, just six just six. But when he's connected to the vine, to the one, perfection happens. Completion. You could say wholeness. We used to do a song by Bebo Norman that says, I'm just, a, I'm just half a man here. Come make me whole. That's what this is. Apart from me, these branches not connected to the vine, you're not going to be able to do anything. And that's why the enemy wants to render us ineffective. That's why he's attacking our connection. If he can keep us from connecting to Jesus, he can render us ineffective. Why? Because apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. And that helps Satan's cause. You understand? What's his cause? Well, to rob us of the work of the gospel. To rob us of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I could go on and on and on. Jesus said, I am the vine You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. When we are connected, magic happens. Not really magic, but good stuff. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what that reminds me of? That switchfoot lyric that says that we were meant to live for so much more. We weren't meant to be just branches, dead branches. No, we were grafted into the vine so that we could come alive. Remember, he is the light of life. Isn't that good? Let's stand. Some of you may feel like there's, there's 
little to no life in your life. Or maybe you, maybe you, you I know I'm alive and I'm breathing. But you're, trying, you're kind of looking for that abundant life. That more that you were meant for. Can I, can I read one more scripture? Well, first let me just say, over and over and over and over, he, he tells us in, in multiple words, that's why I love the sermon in sentence, you were meant for so much more. That's what this book says. You were meant for so much more, okay? And his promises are yes and amen. That's what scripture says. There's promises everywhere, everywhere. But you may be like, I'm not seeing those promises. And you may even be discouraged. Maybe you feel like half a man here. And you would like for God to come make you whole. Maybe you've even experienced wholeness, but something's been taking a slice out of the pie. Well, I can promise you who it is. It's the enemy. Because he's trying to attack your identity. And I bet if we all stopped and paused long enough and think about our weak moments in our lives, we can bring it back to the enemy's attack on our identity. If there's somebody here that feels a conviction in their heart right now for a, a, a lack of effectivity in their life as believers, I would, I would almost bet everything I own that it can be linked back to the robbing of your identity, who you are in Christ. You have not believed that you are a co-heir with Christ. You have not believed that you are a child of God. I have something that is very encouraging. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. He was a prophet. <laughs> you know, that, that song has brought a lot of confusion in the church. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11, God, God first starts speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to one of the very first things he says. This is in verse 11. Jeremiah says that the word of the Lord came to me. Oh, that the word of the Lord would come to all of us. The word of the Lord came to me and said, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah said, I, and he saw something. I see the branch of an almond tree. <laughs> That's what it says. I'm not making it up. I'm not adding to or taking away from the word of God. It says it right there in Jeremiah 111. Jeremiah, what do you see? I see the branch of an almond tree. And here's what it says. The Lord said to me, and before I tell you what God said, let me remind you of what the Hebrew word for almond means. Vigilant. And what do we know vigilant means? To watch and to wake. To watch or to wake up. Here's what God's reply was. Yes, you have seen correctly, Jeremiah, that's exactly what I'm showing you. And the reason I'm showing you that is I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I am watching over my word to see that it comes to pass. Linking back to something Nathan shared during worship. Because, Jeremiah, Israel, saints, I am faithful. Jeremiah, what do you see? I see an almond tree. That's right. And the reason that's what you see is because I am watching over my word to see that it comes to pass. To see that it comes to, we use this as a Christianity word, Christianese word, that it see, see that it comes to fruition. In other words, that, that the fruit of his word comes to pass. 
Y'all thought it was just something somebody poetically made up. It comes to fruition. No. That's, that's what God wants is that we bear fruit, and we will. If you go on and read in John 15, that's what it's all about, the whole thing, that you would bear fruit, but you can't apart from me.